0: Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Erin Peterson, Partner and Global Talent Acquisition Consultant with People Results. In each episode, Erin interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA Today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of Big Fish in the Talent Pool, which for me is bittersweet. A couple of reasons for that. We're coming to the end of another year, which for me is always an opportunity to sit and have a think. Are all the things I'm doing, family, work, ways I give back, things I want to continue? Is it time to maybe reprioritize, to mix it up a bit? Sometimes the answer to that is yes, stay the course. Sometimes it's no. Let's make some changes. Well, I had that talk with myself recently and in 2022 I am going to change it up. Our TA consulting practice at People Results is busier than ever, which means a lot of my focus goes there. Also, I promised myself I will make more space in my life. In fact, that's my key word for 2022, space. For my extended family, some who are aging, some newly born, All are important to me, and that has been accentuated by this crazy COVID world that we've been living in in the past two years. So after 43 episodes, I'm suspending the podcast. Not saying it won't reemerge at some point, but at least for 2022, I'm taking a break in favor of my family, my clients, and myself. I have to say, recording and publishing these conversations with talent acquisition leaders over the last four years and hearing their stories and their advice to all of us in TA has been some of the most fun I've had in my career. What a privilege to just get to ask questions and pull out of people their most profound, professional, and personal learnings. Hmm. Kind of similar to being a recruiter, I guess, so maybe that's why it was fun for me. And the feedback I've received tells me that my conversations have been impactful for some of you as well, which of course makes it all worth it. You know, I try not to talk too much about myself on the podcast because I figure you're here to hear from my guests, not from me. But I do receive an occasional question about me, so when I was the guest on a recent talent board podcast with the notorious Kevin Grossman talking about people results and our TA practice in my own career, I thought it might be a nice capstone for Big Fish to replay that here on our last episode. And just one more thing. I'm dedicating this episode to my grandma, Saveya Connie, who at 100 years old is still kicking. She's been a role model all my life of what it's like to pour your heart and your soul into your work and your family. Thank you, Grandma. So with that, a final shout out to our sponsors at etapglobal.org, rpoassociation.org, ere.net, and of course, Paradox for their amazing AI recruiting assistant, Olivia, and their sponsorship of this podcast. Thanks, everyone. Here comes episode 43 with the Talent Boards, Kevin G and me. Enjoy.
2: Aaron, thank you so much for joining me on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. Before we dive into the rest of this show, please tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do today.
1: Okay. Well, Kevin, good to see you again. And uh, I am Aaron Peterson. I'm the practice leader for the talent acquisition practice at People Results. People Results is a, a consulting firm that focuses on change management and business change for our clients. And what i have brought over the last four years is building inside of that really great legacy practice with a bunch of great consultants out of Accenture, which is also my background, an ability to help clients with their talent acquisition process, interim leadership, and RPO advisory. So that's what we do. I mentioned Accenture. I also draw experience from Aon where I led the RPO business and the global recruiting uh, corporate organization. And then Amazon where I led digital recruiting for the, what was at the time just Kindle. Now it's Alexa and everything else. So lots of fun doing some challenging recruiting there.
2: That's fantastic. All, all things above my pay grade, Aaron. So thank thanks so much for share, sharing that. No, no, that's great. That's a fantastic background. And gosh, we haven't had any lack of disruptive changes in the past two years, right? And, and especially in recruiting and hiring. And one of the things before we started this podcast, I was telling you that we were doing the data reviews now for a lot of the candy participants. And one of the things that we, we talk a lot about because pre-COVID, we were really measuring candidate experience in nothing but just a solid growth market. I mean, for nine, for like eight years, it was like that. And, you know, lowest unemployment in decades. And although candidate resentment in North America in particular was actually the highest that we had seen it in 2019. But my point is, is that there is always something that is impacting the business. There's obviously a thing called a pandemic that we've been living in and are still living in now. We've had social unrest, but there could be leadership changes on a team. There could be recruiting team changes, new products and services, the list goes on, right? In a downturn, recruiting's the first to take the hit. In an upturn, it's the first to kind of frenetically come back, which is what we're seeing now. So just big picture are you seeing I mean are we are we, is the trajectory good positive right now with the organizations that you work with are are we moving forward are we growing because we're getting a lot of mixed media messages too right
1: Yeah the whole great resignation is the term that has been coined
2: which is real right it right? is I mean, it is
1: real and uh, I think it's uh, that that's one thing to to think about but that and many other factors are certainly causing the clients that we work with to completely rethink what they had been doing before in talent acquisition because you can't continue to do the same things. You've got to think about it in new ways. So I do believe things are snapping back to the point of whiplash, actually. <laughs> I mentioned I work uh, quite a bit in RPO advisory and um, just a a couple of statistics out of Everest Group. What they showed is that in 2020, RPO use dropped by 11%. And now, one and a half years later, it is not only made up all of that deficit, but gone back to 2019 levels. So in one, really 12 to 18 months, it's a 25% increase. I mean, that's just breakneck speed. And it's the reason that recruiters can't find recruiters. Right now, as we all know, I saw a a kind of a funny meme the the other day with something about a recruiter who calls a recruiter about a recruiter job. And that recruiter has a recruiter job. So they start to recruit the recruiter who called them.
2: (laughs) That's right. Exactly. I've been seeing a lot of those similar things, whether there have been memes or not, or just conversations on LinkedIn or between people that I know in the the profession, too, that, you know, you had because I remember last year. You know, when things were, people were being furloughed and laid off and it was just, you know, complete upside down world for the most part. Career Crossroads, Jerry Crispin's organization, he he had launched this Recruiters Recruiting Recruiters. Yeah, it's
1: still out there. I just looked at it the other day. It is. I know Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah, Yeah.
2: definitely. No, and it's I'm glad because we played a small part in that too and and from Talent Board and, and others that were involved in the industry. And it was great to see that. But we went from a lot of recruiters looking for work to now they're just being, they're being grabbed up everywhere. Now, our audience, of course, is the HR recruiting TA audience. They most likely know what RPO is, but can you tell us a little bit more about what it is?
1: Yeah, it's recruitment process outsourcing. So, it essentially means that you hire an external firm to handle all or part of your recruitment process and I think when I say all are part, it's, uh, you know, they can do full life cycle, they can do sourcing only, they can do admin only, you can break it up geographically and have them handle your recruitment in a particular part of the world, but not another part of the world. And another thing we've seen them ask organizations to do for them is to just handle a particular job family. So you might say, outsource your SGNA. the non-core functions get handled by the RPO and we handle everything else in-house. So there's a lot of ways to divide it up. And I think more and more organizations like I said, they've had to rethink. And so they're kind of coming down to the, what really do we need to focus on? And if there's things we don't need to focus on, perhaps we can outsource
2: that. And that's due to what? For cost savings considerations, efficiencies. I mean, what are the primary drivers for contracting with an RPO?
1: Good, fast and cheap pick two, right? Isn't that what they always say And when you have to make a tough decision? But RPO is not necessarily just a cost play anymore. I think if you had to let go of all of your recruiters In 2020, and now you need a whole bunch of them back. Number one, as we said, you're probably not able to find the the volume that you used to have. Number two, you might want to take the opportunity to revise how you conduct recruiting. And number three, and this is the the biggest one that we see, and that is access to TA technology. You know, the, the average head of talent acquisition, and I've been there, so I know it, they do not have a budget to access all of the great technology that's out there, many of whom are sponsors of the talent board, right? I mean, I'd love to have an unlimited budget to be able to grab a hold of every piece of that great AI technology and automation, they just don't have the budget. So one way to disintermediate that is to go through the process of choosing an RPO partner who does have access to that technology. And it, honestly, it's really smart in a lot of cases. Now, RPO relationships are sometimes difficult. There's a little bit of risk involved. You really need to find a partner that you're going to fit really well with. But that whole selection process is part of what we help our clients with. And one size does not fit all. You need to find a good partner that is both qualified, qualitative and quantitatively matched with you, sort of like a marriage partner. And uh, then it goes well. But um, lots of people have horror stories. So everybody thinks you have to, that that's not a good option. It's always a good option for all or part of your recruiting. It's just a matter of who's the
2: partner. Well, it's, it's just like, you know, the, the old adage speaking of technology that, you know, the first week that you've implemented a new ATS is the first week you start hating it. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate that, but, but I do know that we do have many over the years, we've had, really good partners, even sponsors, and that have also encouraged their customers to participate in the Candy Benchmark research. And this year was no exception either. And it's great, right? Because whether you're a technology provider and or a service provider like an RPO, if that customer, again, has high ratings in our research and they win what we call our Candy Award, that's also a testament to the work that you've done as the RPO. Because especially if you are fully embedded, you're an extension of that organization. You're not taking orders, they're not calling call center orders, that you're a third-party firm, you're, I mean, a lot of the times, whatever the scope of that relationship is, you represent that brand, your customer's yeah, brand. Yeah, well,
1: absolutely. It is uh, It is absolutely, you're integrated with the client organization. And it's interesting, uh, sort of a transition that I've seen over the last year and a half, two years, is that more and more of the vendors, the RPO providers, are coming to the table indicating which of their clients have won a candy award. And I love that because that is the badge of honor. It literally is they have created this wonderful process that candidates love. And so essentially the the knock-on effect is on the client, not on the RPO, but the RPO gets to brag about it and as well they should.
2: You know, well, I was just gonna say something related. Well, and I, of course, I'm not gonna name any names because we just we wouldn't do that anyway. But it, there's two different kinds of conversations too that we have. Is that we have those who who uh, organizations who have high the high enough ratings, uh, above average ratings for the most part in our and our research and win the candy award. And then those are great conversations. If they are RPO partners on, usually they're on the call because they're representing the organizations when we review the data with them. And then there's the other side of that scenario too, where things don't look very good ratings wise and they're super negative. And then those can, unfortunately you know we don't intend them to be but those can become awkward conversations when <laughs> as you can imagine because especially
1: if it's an RPO providing that service
2: yeah that's what i what i mean is right and and that kind of leads us i mean to you know kind of the broader question then right because we're we're already talking about it now you've already mentioned RPOs on the rise again more companies are outsourcing um the recruitment functions recruiters are totally in demand but Everything that we do, and let me take it from the job candidate perspective. Job candidates don't care about your people, your process. Well, that's not exactly true, but just work with me on this one. They don't care about your your people, recruiting teams, people, process, the technologies that are employed. All they care about is getting hired. And most. They know their own touch points, and that's all they know. And most won't get hired. For any, for any given job. So all of those things we know make a huge difference in candidate experience, but it doesn't make a hell of beans to the candidate if they don't actually get hired or move along in the process, at least. So talk a little bit more about, I mean, the, how, because there now we're seeing an increase in RPO utilization and companies contracting more, what you've seen the impact on candidate experience and, and any thoughts on there as well?
1: Well, First of all, to go back to the point you made about when there there's an RPO involved in a candy winner or a candy aspirant, you know, here's what's beautiful about the talent board and the data that has been created and these you know millions of bytes of data that you've been able to crunch over the years. It normalizes everything. It provides a scorecard for them to share and to use to make improvements. It's the great equalizer because you know, sometimes in an RPO relationship, it's a sort of a he said, she said thing. The client feels like things aren't going well, but they can't really put their arms around what that is or what's not happening. And the RPO feels like they're doing their best. And and so what's great is that you just have this shared view of, all right, Talent board data has credibility. We're going to use this to be able to improve our process, put our egos aside, figure it out together, and it sort of solidifies the partnership as opposed to, you know, pulls people apart. Now, having said that, what I have seen in a couple of instances recently is that there's a will to use the Candy Award experience data for improvement, but back to our point about there's not enough recruiters, and the RPOs are having a tough time getting recruiters as well. They are very thinly spread. I've even run into a couple of RPOs who said unless the volume is 400 or more a year, we're not going to propose because we it's not worth our time. We don't have we don't even have, have enough salespeople to be able to address all of the RFPs out there. So this is a new the dawn of a new era when you have a company that's motivated by getting more and more more clients with more hiring and they won't even propose. So I think what we're trying to do from our consultative perspective at People Results is we not only will help our client organizations go through the assessment and the selection process for an RPO partner, but then we get involved in the implementation. And in some cases, the RPO, They know they need to create this experience with their new client that has elements of the the talent board's data, but they don't have the solution architect to get in the middle of it and create the process flow and identify where the technologies are going to automate pieces and parts to make it a better experience for the candidates. Even things like, and this is one of my favorite recommendations out of the talent board from years ago, and I think it, it endures today, the concept of giving candidates honest feedback. Yes. Right. We owe them that, and lawyers get involved. And not only corporate recruiters get a little nervous about that, but certainly their RPO partners get nervous about that because then they're one, you know one step removed. So it's rough. So you got to create this innovative process that's going to get up over some of those barriers. And the spirit is willing, but the resources are weak in some cases. So we try to help intervene and create you know a candy worthy process and make it easy for the RPO to adopt it, implement it, automate it, and then. And you know, go forth and conquer. So
2: that's and that's fantastic because there, there definitely is a need there. I mean, on the other side of that, too, one of the things that we've been doing is there are companies now who want even a deeper dive and looking at like so we've been doing candidate experience audits with some with just a handful of companies over the past two years that and we've learned a lot tremendously doing that, too. But it's funny. Years ago, somebody told me that, oh, you know, a lot of these organizations Especially mid-sized to global enterprise, you know, they have people on staff to, to data analysts to look, to look at any kind of data, whether it's candidate experience, employee experience. They do not actually have anybody to do. They, they, they don't. And there's a rare instance when that's the case that they do have people who are slicing and dicing and, and looking at our data, their own internal continuous feedback data. But when we talk about things like feedback, like you were just mentioning, every year we're asked talent board, what is new and fresh about canada experience cuz every we, we all like to feel like there's something new and i'm like a, i'm like the super grumpy old man now Aaron. cuz i'm like nothing is new nothing <laughs> listen to me now
1: they just want to be treated like humans and get off my communication
2: fe- exactly <laughs> get out of my yard get off my <laughs> communication feedback expectation setting timeliness transparency definitive closure and a higher perception of fairness which is subjective, we know, but when candidates feel like it is positive and it's fair, they're more than willing to do stuff again. So it doesn't matter then, because your people change, your processes evolve, your technologies totally get better, and AI technologies are really are helping, from sourcing to totally helping companies today really improve, especially of any hiring volume and scale. But those differentiators don't change, and most of the top 10 candy winners in North America and and even the top ones in our small smaller regions around the world They are all providing some level of feedback. That's one of a few things that they do consistently, and not a lot of companies do that. And they're they're willing, especially to finalists. We're not going to do it at the point of application, right? But I wanted to I wanted to segue a little bit with you, and this has been a great conversation so far too. About kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about. So we also know that there are organizations could be because of the the shortage in TA leaders too. There's some orgs that put in an interim person, like whether it's interim HR, interim TA. What do you see there? What's going on there? And how? what kind of an impact um, do you think that has on not just candidate experience, but recruiter and hiring manager experience, too?
1: Well, so we typically interact with clients in two different ways as it relates to interim leadership. And it's been really interesting over the last couple of years. The the thing that has been increasing the most is small and medium-sized organizations, in some cases startups, who have been sort of getting along just fine with a kind of mid-level recruiting manager, somebody who you know, knew enough to be dangerous and was able to shepherd candidates through the process. And now all of a sudden they got a round of funding and they're really freed up to be to grow. And that person who had been kind of bumping along and helping them, you know, do what they needed to do for a while is burned out because they just had been, you know, keeping the wheels on. And now they're being asked to scale and it's hard, it's hard to scale. And so that person leaves. And we get contacted then to say, can you help us with an interim leader who could just do both get the job done, b- bring the delivery of candidates, but also do an assessment at the same time and then put together a future strategy and then hire the new leader according to that future strategy. And this is some of our favorite kind of work because it gives you the hands-on opportunity to see what the issues are way beyond a kind of a high-level assessment because you're in there with the hiring managers and you're living with the roles and you're sourcing the, the talent and interacting with the technology that they currently have. And so you can really make practical recommendations.
2: So you're literally, you're the transitional leadership then? Yeah.
1: I, or one of my team members, we, you know, we, we, we have several of us who are capable of doing that and have led TA before in other organizations. So we come with this sort of leadership lens, but also always practical. So no pie in the sky, we just like get it done. And the other scenario would be a larger organization that has maybe a divisional TA leader who leaves. And the senior leader says, I think I want to use this opportunity to take a different lens on what that person who left us was doing. Probably they were doing a fine job, but I might need a builder to come in, not a runner, because I want somebody to build something new out of the process, the technology, the candidate the the hiring manager experience, for example. And then that thing needs to be handed off to our runner. So the interim leader I need is a builder who can really give us something new and then they need to hire the person who's more of a run mentality. And you know this, I'm sure, from dealing with talent acquisition leaders forever. You're either a builder or a runner. Some people are hybrids, but most people are one or the other and we need them both. But if if what gets you up in the morning is doing new stuff and trying new things and taking risks and selling new ideas to to leaders, that's a very different profile than somebody who's going to run it long-term, which is also very important.
2: And what's interesting that you say that, that does connect to, that senior leadership in any size organization, even, well, I would, dis- they'd have to be, to have somebody that's a builder, they're going to have to be receptive to that too, right? Inside the organization, as opposed to just come in and just keep this train moving for us. But I think part of what we've seen over the years in doing this research through that lens of the the candidate's experience and then what employers tell us too of what they're doing, that there does tend to be this disparity between what senior leadership, how they view what recruiting and hiring really is versus what it really is at the end of the day, which is unfortunate because that's again, one of the first things to go and one of the first things to quickly ramp back. So do you have a recommendation for as we kind of wind down this, this episode, a recommendation to TA leaders everywhere? How do they, they better build the business case? For leadership to be really to understand and invest in recruiting and hiring. I mean, it's the and we're talking not only about external hiring, but internal mobility, too, for the which is retention, which is key to any organization.
1: Which, by the way, is becoming an emerging title that we see more and more often, the head of talent acquisition and retention.
2: I've been hearing that too. Yep, exactly.
1: In fact, shameless plug here for my podcast, which is called Big Fish in the Talent Pool. I just released an episode with Trent Cotton of Bureau Veritas, and that's his title, uh, Head of Talent Acquisition and Retention. So we, we talk a little bit about that. but And he's super fun to talk to. So if that's interesting to anybody, uh, it's on all the platforms. But, you know, I would say that here's the thing, internal constituents that I have seen in my own TA leadership roles, but also, you know, what we see as we consult. They are typically concerned with one thing, and that is get my people hired. Just get my people hired. Yes, cost is a consideration, but that typically is not the highest because if the internal team isn't getting the job done, they'll go to an agency. Or a search firm. So all of a sudden, cost doesn't become an issue, you know, if the job isn't getting done. And then I would say, beyond that, I think what TA leaders are smart to keep in mind always is the Amazon effect. And what I mean by that is not my ha- having worked there, but more the retail experience that we are now all used to. We're used to ordering something and we immediately get a confirmation and then we get updates periodically, sometimes too often, about the fact that our thing that we ordered is on the way, it's arriving, it did arrive, it was dropped off with details, sometimes with a photo, our expectations have been increased in terms of information, updates, assurances that things are going well with whatever it is that I want to go well. And so when a hiring manager doesn't hear for days on end what's going on with their role, what do they assume? They assume nothing is happening, right? And so I think a modern progressive talent acquisition leader is first and foremost worried about speed, communications updates on what's going on with recruiting either writ large for senior leaders who need to know, you know, kind of the big picture or on an individual level which is hopefully what their team members are delivering. And there you go. It's the same with candidates, right? This is what the talent board's been telling us. Just tell me what my status is. Be honest with me. If, if it's not going well, let's talk about it. You know, that kind of thing. So, you know, it really becomes, you know, get the hires in. And maybe just kind of one more thought about that, the Amazon effect and how it's increased our expectations. You know, and I think about the, the hourly hiring that has now been completely disrupted by the AI, the conversational AI providers. I'm a huge fan of that. And I have to say, I had one client come to me recently and say, I think we need an RPO. And I said, okay, well, let's look at what you've got. And in the end, an RPO, I don't believe would have delivered their high level of hourly hires any better than they were doing. What they needed was disruptive technology. And sure enough, conversational AI is, is the ticket. So, you know, I think you just have to think about it in terms of speed and delivery and then oh by the way cost and somehow it all come together
2: absolutely no that's great and i I love the work that you do then with your customers that you do aaron what i like to do when i when i wrap up any episode is i always like to ask a non-work related question what i mean by that is we're always working all the time work 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 before before we even started this we're like saying how about how busy we both are what else besides work does aaron like to do
1: okay so I could go on and on. I I mean, I'm at this really fun time in my life where my kids are grown, and so I you know have a little bit of you know freedom. But I do have a granddaughter, and she is the light of my life, and so I hang out with her as often as possible. A little Gracie, and uh, then there's this thing called pickleball.
2: Do oh, you know about it? <laughs> I do. My I've never played. My oldest in middle school is they for PE. They rotate it into the mix every, like once every week or week or two, and she's the bomb. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's the bomb because if you can't play tennis, which I definitely can't, because I can't hustle like that, then pickleball is just totally accessible.
2: That's what I've heard.
1: Mere mortals like me can handle it. So Well, and I,
2: cause when we, cause we, uh, we attempt to play tennis sometimes and it's, we actually, it's actually called chase the ball. That's not, uh, that's what it's called. And that's the, that's the workout that we get is like, go chase the ball. But my wife has one of her aunts is like a, competitive pickleball player. Like... To, super, com, super competitive, and there's like it's tournaments. It's just like you know the beanbag toss, right? Cornholing. I had no idea. I had no idea how competitive yeah, that is. There's people who
1: are just really naturally good at it. Super
2: competitive, and like they have leagues and tournaments. And but um, it looks fun. I, I actually would love to try it. Try it someday because I'm sure I would do better than tennis.
1: Yes, um, I, I highly recommend it. And and then if, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to my husband of 36 years who insists on hiking every chance we get. So we do a lot of that in our uh, empty nest years.
2: Well, that's great. Well, that's great. Great to hear. And Aaron, thanks again so much for being on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. And we are planning next year. The candies are back on the road. We're planning some in-person workshops and events next year and including in-person candy awards next year, not this year, because it's still we got to finish this year out. And then we're counting on the fact that the world's going to be a much different place. Hopefully, in the next you know six, three, six, nine months. So From your mouth
1: to God's ears. Well, I know. I hope so. Hope.
2: I hope so. But <laughs> I, I, that's the plan because I'd love to. You know, I, I did just take my first trip in, or no, second trip in, in, since March of 2020 to conference, the HR tech conference. And it was, it was great to get out there again. And I hope that we can get to more of that in time to come, but thanks again for being on the podcast. It was great catching up with you and we'll talk again really soon.
0: Okay. Have a great weekend. We hope you enjoyed this episode of big fish in the talent pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ere.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Erin directly at e-p-e-t-e-r-s-o-n at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.